This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Well, good evening, brothers and sisters. Shalom. It's uh, Erev Tov. It's good to see everybody. Okay, we are actually going to be starting Acts 17 uh, tonight. But um, before we do, before we sit down and wrestle with the scriptures as we examine what the Holy Spirit is doing through the Acts of the um, Apostles, Disciples, and even Paul, um, what is it we do? And we always gather as a Christians, we we pray. And so can I have a volunteer to lead us in prayer before the Lord? Great. Cool. Yeah, dear Father, I thank you so much uh, just for gathering us all here Lord, to just study your word and get to know you better through the scriptures. Um, and I just, yeah, I pray, God, that you, your Holy Spirit, reveal to us exactly what it is that you're doing in these verses so that we can genuinely learn, Lord, um, and that we won't just be hearers of the word, but we can do as of it as well. Amen. Praise the Lord. Nice prayer. Thanks, man. Okay. So going over the notes from last week, for those that uh, weren't here, it just helps, um, I guess, re-clarify what, what, it was, what we were talking about. Uh, and hopefully, if anybody wasn't here, can, can pick up to speak. So last week, we were studying half of Acts 16, in which we found Paul and his companions encountering a young female slave described as being possessed with the spirit of Python, some sort of spirit of, of divination. We are not told how she becomes demonized. Okay, we, in fact, in, in sacred scripture, you rarely get backstory. Okay, that's, that's the stuff of movies, right? the, the backstory. But sometimes characters appear in the Bible with no idea how they, they come to be there. Rather, the text explains that she makes her own as a handsome son with her divination abilities. In Greek mythology, the Pythian serpent dwelt in a region of Pytho, which was actually closely where we were um, situated, and guarded the Delphi Oracle. The serpent was slain by Apollo, the god of prophecy. So it's interesting that uh, this event occurs in that region. The young woman follows the group around, declaring in a loud voice that they are servants of the Most High God, which Although in Hebrew it would be El Elyon, in Greek, which is what we're written in, it's in Theos Hypsistos, and that they hold the way of salvation. The term Most High God, or El Elyon, occurs very infrequently in the Hebrew Bible. Um, first, it's used by Melchizedek in Genesis, where he is a priest of El Elyon, and later in Psalm 78. So. Because it's used so infrequently, some scholars, and I'm using the term some loosely and scholar loosely, uh, <laughs> will, will argue that, that El Elyon is some other, other god. Right? And they will, they will look at the different names of God in the Bible and they'll say, look, these are just different gods and they're sort of melding them all together. And, um, however, we don't believe that. But, but that's one argument you might see when you come to a commentary. But, El Elyon is the one that was described of, uh, of, of, of Melchizedek and this woman who says these are servants of the Most High God, which is a very interesting description, is it not? Paul drives the demon out of the woman 
which subsequently results in the parties being beaten and their imprisonment. So note, miracles and the power of the Spirit do not always bring a positive desired result and nor the protection from harm. Okay? The number of times we've been reading through the book of Acts and Paul does something supercalifragilistic and expialidocious only to find himself beaten up or nearly dead. So you, you might get to a point where he might go, you know what, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not. Okay? No, cure yourselves. Right? But, uh, but sometimes in 2,000 years later, in our modern day time period, some of us or parts of our Christian world think that if we do miracles, that'll just make everybody believe. It actually doesn't always work. Not what you find in the, in the pages of Scripture. Things happen right in front of people. They're miraculous. And they don't believe. And so... That's something we should learn from the history that's presented to us. This is why we're looking at this. Anyway, brought before the magistrates of Philippi, where they are, the companions are charged with disturbing the peace, and they're charged as Jews, teaching foreign customs. Essentially, the charges are a complete lie, and they're all just a pretext for financial compensation. Right? These guys just lost their source of income and their money back. Note, even Luke is called Jewish in this verse. Because in the Orthodox tradition, he is. In the Western tradition, he's not. So, uh, but, but from the text, uh, they're all charged as Jews. The young woman with divination skills has been declaring them to be servants of the Most High God with the way of salvation, and yet no one has believed her. Despite the false accusations, the companions are beaten and imprisoned and placed into custody of an unnamed jailer. At midnight, and in total darkness, Paul and Silas sing hymns to God. And we made a note that Hillsong had not been invented yet, and praise to Jesus in hymns does not yet exist. Okay? It will later, but at the moment, they, they know to sing songs to the Lord, to God. The other prisoners, also unnamed, listen. An earthquake tears open the doors of the prison and breaks the restraints of all the prisoners. The source of the quake is not recorded. We don't know who did it. However, uh, in much of the world, we associate large acts of nature with acts of God. Okay? The ancient world did, and oddly enough, we still do it today. Right? It's even in your insurance policies. Okay? You have a, a policy of an act of God, as if you're going to sue the divine for destroying your house. <laughs> in Roman custom, the jailer takes responsibility for his charges and he prepares to commit suicide. He had not been listening to the songs of praise. Paul announces that actually no one has left the prison. In Western texts of Acts, right, we are reading Alexandrian Acts, but there is another version out there, an earlier version called the Western, Western texts, and they record that the jailer then secures the other prisoners, the real bad guys, and then asks what he must do to be saved. Okay, so what it means is, they were dealing with a theological thing. If Jesus has come to release the captives, who's really a captive? Someone in prison isn't necessarily a captive. It might be they really need to be there. And just because Jesus set you free doesn't, let, doesn't mean you let mass murderers walk, walk out of jail. So in the Western tradition, we lock up all the bad guys first and then go and ask ourselves, how do we get saved? So then we had a discussion um, of what we thought the jailer meant by salvation. What does this Roman know about being saved? 
what does he think he's going to be safe to? What does he think he's going to be safe from? We had a little discussion about what we thought that meant. Paul answers with believe and you'll be saved. You and your household. Note, baptism is not actually mentioned here. It's not believe and be baptized, it's belief. They are going to get baptized, yes. But that's not what the text says. So, if you all like to take a verse out of context, how do you get saved? Just believe. No need to get baptized. Right? So be very, always be very careful when just grabbing one verse. So, Anyway, the companions then share the word of the Lord. And don't you just love the way the book of Acts says these phrases and doesn't unpack what that meant. So we discussed what we thought the word of the Lord would be uh, to the whole household. So the jailer who never gets a name, right? Lydia got a name, right? When we, when we go to where the Jews are all meeting, she gets a name, she gets a job description and we all meet in her household and she'll get mentioned in, in other letters. The jailer who comes to faith, he did get, get no name. The unnamed jailer binds the wounds of the companion, is baptized along with his family, and sets a meal before the heroes. Note, so far we have no mention of the Holy Spirit nor of anyone speaking in tongues. As with Lydia, the response to coming to faith was to open your home. So in this chapter, two people come to faith, and the first and the response is they welcome their homes, begin to have churches within their homes, begin to be hospitable. The meal is important, right? In that the Gentile jailer offers non-kosher food to Jewish people. Food laws being a big issue in the early church. Because what was the big deal of Acts 15? When we're going to give Gentiles four laws, three of them have to do with food. So this is a big deal. Where he deliberately notes that, you know, there's lots of things Acts doesn't say, but sometimes when it does say something, it's significant. And... And he puts a meal before them. Now, he would have been a Gentile serving non-kosher food to Jewish people. It's a big deal. It is not recorded how the magistrates arrive at the conclusion that Paul and Silas are actually innocent of the charges. Perhaps Lydia, who is an influential woman, had a role in this. Right? We just don't, you're not sure. However, in the morning they send messages for the release of the companions. However, Paul is not about to let the courts off lightly for false imprisonment. He stands his ground and demands personal apologies from the officials. So then we had a discussion about the role of forgiveness in the life of a believer and our relationship to the law of the land. Like we ask, what would you have done? Do you have quietly said, okay, I'm going now? Or would you have said, wait a second, I've got rights. And just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's dogma. What do I mean by that? Okay, In the book of Acts, how do we select a new apostle? <laughs> but that's not how you choose leaders right now, is it? So we know what Paul did. That's what it's recorded. That doesn't say it was the right thing to do. The, the, the book of Acts makes no value judgment on it. However, last, last Wednesday, I can tell you, we had a room full of people who would have done exactly the same thing. Okay, we all felt, no, 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 we would have stood for our, uh, our ground. Whether that's the right thing or not, it's actually up for debate. The text makes no moral judgment on it. Okay? But it was a good discussion. The Holy Spirit remains a distant figure in most of this chapter. 
The only thing the Holy Spirit gets recorded as doing in this chapter is forbidding them from going places. Right? There's no prompting, go here. There's no, we'll do a miracle in the name of the Spirit. There's no outpouring of the Spirit. What you find is the negative. Don't go there. Don't go here. In fact, he remains distant and his involvement isn't there, including in the baptism. You don't see anything occur. So remember, be very careful when trying to make a doctrine from silence. It's great to have doctrines, it really is. We've got lots of them, lots of churches with lots of doctrines. But be very careful where we think we're pulling information from. Okay, so that finished off Acts 17, uh, 16, and now we begin 17, which is a packed chapter, and we'll do our best to see how far we get. Um, as, as is our tradition, we read one verse at a time. We are not worried about version and or language. God understands them all. And we just go around one at a time and, uh, and read. I'll, I'll start. And if you can do it nice and loudly for our people in podcast land who do listen. Okay. They really do. And they ask questions. So... Yeah, I got some homework to do. When they had passed through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered, and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is. Some of them were convinced and became attached to Paul and Silas, as was a large number of God-fearing Greeks and no small number of the leading women. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find him, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men have turned the world upside down. Who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Hearing this thing, the crowd and the city officials were confused. But after receiving bail from Jason and the rest, they released them. As soon as it was night, <coughs> the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica learned that the word of God has been proclaimed by Paul in Berua as well, they came there too to stir up and incite the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, 
and after receiving instructions to have Silas and Timothy join him as soon as possible, they left him. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God that made the world and all the things therein, he, being Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything in addition, since he himself gives to all life and breath in all things. From one he made from one he made every nation of men to live on the face of the earth, having set appointed times and the boundaries of their territory. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that a divine being is like God, <coughs> or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, he has brought forth evidence of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. But some joined him and became believers. Amongst them were Dionysus, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Alright. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, on uh, an initial reading, is there anything there that jumps out at you? Something you've noticed for the first time? Or something you always notice whenever you read this chapter? I saw Paul went first in the synagogue. And mm. I think he taught a few lessons before that 
from uh, X chapter mm -hmm. uh, that's not uh, um, being. Right. So yes, Paul's own statement was, I'm only going to now go to the Gentiles, but then he immediately changes plan as soon as he gets to a new town. So I wonder how many of us make these great oaths uh, only to, to change them the very next day. Yeah. Well, to be fair, his, his target audience, when he comes to Japan, will be the God fears in the synagogue. So it's kind of two birds of one stone, really. Yeah. That's, that's where he wouldn't just, just start by default. I mean, um, you're always going to go where you know, yeah, where you're going to get an audience. So for him, it's always going to be the synagogue. Yeah. So what does that mean? What do you think noble-minded means? Why would Luke describe Bereans that way? Because they kept going back to the word of God to be like, this is, they wanted to actually do it with integrity and be like, we're not just listen to what you're saying. Yeah. They, they studied the Bible, so he decided he would give them a good adjective. <laughs> oh, these guys are noble. Why? They study the Bible. Yeah. As opposed to these other plebs. <laughs> I mean, it's the only group of people that have that kind of commendation in the scriptures, and, yeah. and a number of preachers like to think, you know, emphasize it, you know, just to, whoever you're sitting, whoever's preaching, you're sitting under, you still have to go back and check it. You, know? you do. And, and they get this distinction. However, they don't get an epistle. Right? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Maybe their church was like perfect. <laughs> and you kind of wish Paul would have written them an epistle. I, I shall now write that you're the most perfect church ever, and 2,000 years later we shall study you. <laughs> that would have been nice. <laughs> they don't get one in, yeah. don't get one in uh, Revelation with the seven churches either. No. No. Yeah, they, they, they get this bit, which is pretty good. But, they, but like, there's no church. There's no epistle to the Athenians either, right? You know, you get one to Thessalonica, and you get one to Philippi, and to the communities that are established there. But you don't get ones that are established here. So on our little little maps, you can see that uh, he started. Remember, he's in Macedonia. Why is he in Macedonia? Dream. Dream. He's had a dream. Dream sequence. Man says, come and help us in Macedonia. So they do. And so this Macedonian province uh, is obviously famous for producing which famous general? Alexander the Great. Okay, it's Macedonian. And, uh, and, and they were originally at uh, Philippi, and now they've gone to Berea and Thessalonica, which are the three major um, settlements within the province of, of Macedonia. So he covered him, Acts, uh, he gets around, he has fulfilled the vision by the time you've, we've done this, this chapter. All of these are on the Ignatian Way, aren't they? Correct. The they are all on the main road. And it's interesting also that in um, uh, the Western text, it even describes a little bit of what he does in Apollonia. Ours it doesn't, right? Ours just says he went like through. And it mentions the two places, doesn't mention him doing anything in it. Although when you, when you get an earlier version, or no, a different version, let's say that, <laughs> okay, uh, it, it describes, it adds a little bit of stuff that he does in that area, okay? Um, just like when he comes to Derby in Acts 
when was that? 14, you got one sentence, right? And it was kind of like that. You do all this great stuff, but you only get one sentence. Uh, that tells you what he does. All right. <clears throat> so examining the text. Uh, so they pass through Amphipolis and Apollonia, which are in our version, we don't get any information. They are on the Ignatius Way, uh, which is a trade route. Okay, one of Thessalonica being a big port town makes lots of money, and um, Thessal and they come to Thessalonica, and it has a Jewish synagogue. Does anyone know uh, some of the history of Thessalonica, even in its modern context? Nazis were turned away from their adventures in the Middle East. Yeah, the um. Or was it no? That was a failure, wasn't it? Jews were deported from Thessalonica. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know how they got there? How they got to Thessalonica? They were kicked out of Spain, and a large number of them made their way to Thessalonica. Guess who was ruling Thessalonica at that stage? The Turks. Turks owned Greece. Greece actually became independent in the late 1800s. Okay. Um, so Turkey actually was, was ruling. And oddly enough, the Turks allowed the Jews to settle in Thessalonica, so much so that it ended up having a Jewish majority population. So it was a huge uh, Jewish city and made, as you can possibly imagine, lots of money. And uh, unfortunately, doesn't do so well and it gets uh, the Jewish community is wiped out in World War II. But um, its history in its modern passage had a very large uh, uh, Jewish Jewish community. And as you can see 2000 years ago, it had a Jewish community there as well. And that, sorry? I didn't hear the other Jewish community. Oh, the, the, Jew, the Jewish community to the, uh, 2000 years ago. So it was a Jewish community during the uh, 1500s, 1600s, thriving Jewish community Thessalonica. under Thessalonica. And, um, and in 2000 years ago, you're looking at a wealthy port town on a nice international highway uh, with a wealthy Jewish community that can afford to have a synagogue. Other places Paul has gone to in Acts where there are no synagogues, uh, the communities are meeting out by rivers and streams and, and outside. Mm -hmm. But here you have uh, some wealth. And so as is his custom, so it uh, tends to imply that despite uh, his, his previous statement of I'm, I'm just going to the, the Gentiles now, um, he goes to the synagogue. Why to the synagogue? Probably because this is where he gets a good um, uh, audience. Because remember, in the ancient world, do we have rabbis? They're not popular. Right? You, 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 when you go to a synagogue, you don't find a local rabbi. That comes later. Right? At the time of Jesus and afterwards, rabbis are on the periphery. They're on the edge. They're not the major source. So who actually runs the synagogue? Sorry? Yeah, no, the, 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 the elders. There's a canine, the elders. And they may or may not be good Torah teachers. And so, when you had an itinerant preacher show up, guess what you got him to do? 
and got him to speak. Okay, and uh, that's what that was the way you did it. What Bible are they reading? Yes, they're reading Greek. Okay, none of this is occurring with Hebrew scriptures. None of this is occurring with the Bible you're holding in your hands. Right? Greek Bible is bigger. Greek Bible has more books in it. Each of those books has more verses in it. Right? You end up with three extra chapters in Daniel. You, you end up with verses in Isaiah in Greek that are not there in Hebrew. Which is very interesting when the book of Hebrews quotes Isaiah, but it quotes from a book that's not in your book. Now, isn't that interesting? Okay. Uh, and so, here we are, we're going to be wrestling with uh, Greek manuscripts. And guess what the issue is? Or guess what the issue is not? We all have to learn Hebrew. Okay? That's not the first call, okay? It's great. It's great to learn the original languages, but let's not get too hung up. Uh, and uh, so it's okay to read your Bible in English or any other language for that matter. Okay? You will still come to the conclusion that the, Jesus is the Messiah. Okay. So, we even... You feel better now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. That, that's no problem, brother. Yes, well, I, I told you you were going to die, so I needed to, to come up with something better. Okay. So he goes into the, into the synagogue, and we actually get a little measure, measure, measure of time, which is actually rare. Normally, you know, uh, when, when we're writing Luke, you just say, after some time, right? or about then. You know? uh, but here, you end up with three Sabbaths. So how long are we hanging out in Thessalonica? At least three weeks. Okay. And, um, all right. And so, so for several uh, weeks now, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Okay, now these would be the Greek scriptures, and um, and it's not in a book. Okay? We're not exactly sure exactly which scrolls they've got access to and which ones they do not have access to. And uh, and his message is to explain that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus, or Yeshua, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you, is the Messiah. Now, in antiquity, um, or in literary archaeology, we actually dug up um, uh, some interesting scrolls. Everyone's familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls? Okay. Well, there's a scroll called in that collection of scrolls, and there's lots of them, called 4Q Testimonia. Anyone ever heard of it? Fair enough. <laughs> And it's, a, it's, a, it's just a, a scroll with a collection of all the Messianic prophecies put together. Okay? What it means is it reveals that in the Second Temple period, various Jewish groups, not just the Messianic ones um, or the Jesus movement ones, were already going through the scriptures, looking at them and putting down all the Messianic prophecies and putting them into groups. They will just shove them all together and see what we come up with. Okay? And so uh, it's interesting that they were doing that. And so you can see that when, when Paul shows up and he says, okay, pull out your Bible. Now, go to these following verses. Let's have a discussion. Okay? There's, there's already this, this, this movement of being able to run to verses to talk about the Messiah. Because okay? they were already doing it. 
Um, and so he has, to, he has to show that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. And um, now what would make that special in a discussion about the Messiah? When you, when, when you hear about, when someone says the word Messiah, what's the first thing that runs to your head? First thing, Messiah. Deliverer. Deliverer, okay. Savior. Savior. The anointed one. Anointed one, okay. Okay, put your Jewish caps on. Nama. <laughs> someone says Messiah, what do they think? Redeemer, okay. King, right? Okay, the sort of the idea of king, Davidic line, power. Yeah, we'll throw in some redemption, throw in some salvation, but, but definitely king. None of us came up with the word suffer. That wasn't the first thing that comes to our mind. When you say Messiah, oh, suffering. <laughs> like, that's, it's just not there. Right? And, uh, but he says, look, no, it is. Okay, So you need to know. I've got to, I've got to prove you. Messiah has to suffer. Messiah has to rise from the dead. Got to have this resurrection thing. And then he, you know, he sums up. Now that we've had this discussion, the Messiah that I know, I know the guy who fits this bill. He, he fulfills all these things we've been talking about. His name is Jesus and he is resurrected. Some of the Jewish people are persuaded in uh, the debate. Okay. Um, would we be fair to assume that there was a focus there like on Isaiah 53 yeah. being probably the best place to establish that? Could have been. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a good one. Um, in uh, uh, You've got the Greek there, have you? Arie? Oh, okay. In, oh, <laughs> in verse 3, Okay, where it's where in my translation it says explaining uh, and proving that the that the Messiah had to suffer. The the word there is um, uh, is where we get our English word dialogue from. Okay? He has this this dialogue, and when Jewish people have a dialogue, what does that look like? Debate. It's a debate. It's the question and answer. It's the you know, so what do you think Messiah is supposed to do? Oh, I don't know. What do you think Messiah is supposed to do? Well, let's read this verse. Now, what do you think the divine was? And then, and you have this discussion. Okay, and um, and you can see that being reflected in the text. So, some of the Jewish people are persuaded, uh, but there's also a large number of God fearers that are coming, and and the text, as the New Testament is wont to do, who else shows up? As the women! Yes! Have you noticed how many times they show up? Okay, they're in the Gospels, they're in the... And they're everywhere. Okay? And they're, they're in Talmud, okay? Rich women, and it's always rich women. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, the poor women, they're all, they're all possessed by demons. But the rich women, okay? They actually get the Gospel. Um, and it is interesting that that actually happens. It's... it's it's a it's a it's a particular part of the history of the early church. Okay. Um, guess what Western texts do? They rub the women out. Ooh, we don't like that. Okay. Yes. So while while the Western texts have some other information, whoever they were, they decided we can't have all these women running around. Okay? And so they kept. But but the Alexandrian manuscripts preserve the uh, acknowledgement that uh, there were a lot of wealthy women joining the movement. Okay. Right. And um, so, so Paul 
has shown up in Thessalonica, him and his companions. Who's paying for this? Oh, we've made a few wealthy women converts, that's good. But, but who else? Read, read Philippians 4, 15 to 16. So we've just come from Philippi and later on we're going to write them an epistle and Paul acknowledges uh, their assistance to him. Philippians 4, 15 to 16. You got it? Read it in a really loud voice. Now you Philippians also know that in the beginning of the good news when I left Macedonia, not a single community partnered with me in giving and receiving except you alone. Yep. For even in Thessalonica, you sent something for my need more than once. Yep. So while he's in Thessalonica with all his little companions, got to pay for stuff. Okay. And uh, who produces the money? The Philippians. In fact, what's her name? Lydia. Lydia. Okay. So she's out there buying and selling her purple dyes and her cloth and making lots of money and then sending it on to Brother Paul. Okay. The jailer might have been helping in there too, but we don't ever get his name. Okay. But you never know. Okay. Here's our, I've got this great whip for you, Paul. Anyway, so in verse 5, um, however, the Jews are jealous. Okay. And uh, why would they be jealous? <laughs> maybe yeah maybe they took the money away okay that could be they're losing the Greeks yes you go because in the ancient world when you would go into a synagogue half the congregation's Gentile okay now imagine going to synagogue on the next Shabbat and it's mainly just Jewish people yeah. oh where do all the Gentiles go well they're off with Paul yeah you get, they, can, they get a little, little nervous. His message seems quite popular. And uh, often our response to popularity is jealousy. Even today. To me, Aaron, that half of the people would be Gentile in the synagogue. Where do we know that from? Okay. So one, you've got textual evidence just from here, but in many other literary sources, that Gentiles are in the synagogue called the God-fearers. So, in the ancient world, um, in, within the Greek world, they had already begun to move towards monotheism. Okay, Eat, like you, you read many of, uh, of the Greek philosophers are already discussing this within themselves. Some of them are even paying for it with their lives. Okay, like Socrates and, and a few others, where they began to say, the gods that we've made can't possibly be real. They do things that we, who are their servants, aren't even allowed to do. Okay? Like in Greek mythology, Roman mythology, what do the gods do? Oh, they fight each other. Right? They commit, they commit um, what is it when you, fratricide, where you kill your brothers and your parents? Yes? Incest. They're constantly warring with each other. They're constantly coming down to the, on the planet and, and mingling and having affairs. And they're doing all this kind of stuff. But we're not allowed to do that. But that's our divine figures. 
right? It makes no sense. And so the, 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 the philosophers who were the reason going like, this makes no sense. So the, the Greek world had begun to shift. And so by the time of, of Jesus, about 20% of the Greek world is now monotheistic. Not all of them attached to the synagogue, or the fair number, but there are other, other monotheistic cults, other monotheistic traditions. There's the Roman uh, god of Mithra, there's, uh, which is actually a Persian god, but they incorporate it. There's the Egyptian cult of Isis. These are some very well-known monotheistic traditions. Physically, we found a synagogue in Syria called Dura Europus, which you can Google online. It was well-preserved uh, by sand, like the whole city covered up in sand. So when they dug it out, it was a wonderful city. And in the synagogue, it had um, big pole, big uh, pillars that kept the roof up. And um, they, they, put, they wrote down, chiseled, the names of the people who were in their synagogue. And on one side, it said, these are the Jews, and I had all their names. And on the other side, it said, these are the proselytes. So these are the Gentiles who became Jews, and it had their names. And on the other side, it says, and these are the God-fearers. And it was nearly 50-50. Right? You're looking at something like 46-45 or something like that. 44-45. When you count down the names. And suddenly you realize that if you'd shown up on Shabbat, half the people in that synagogue are Gentiles. So, um, which is an interesting movement. You also see it um, in the text. So the text is reflecting a, a real reality. Um, In other words, the synagogue, second time, second period time, plays a very important role to testify the monotheism. Should I say that? Absolutely. Yeah, monotheism was um, it was it was because the Jewish people already had a well-developed monotheistic tradition to present to the world. So if you if you if you if you woke up one day and said, you know what, Socrates is right. There really is only one God. That's why Paul can point to an altar to the unknown God. And in archaeology, that's not the only one. You actually find them over, all over Greece. Okay? Just, just altars with the single, with the single inscription, Theos Hypsistos, the God Almighty, who, with no statues, no, no great epitaphs, no sacred scriptures, nothing. Just there's some God out there, but we don't know who he is. We will build him an altar. Right? Isn't that interesting? Okay, and so Paul comes on and says, "Aha! I know who you're looking for. Okay, I know exactly who that is." Uh, and and that's an interesting thing to find in the ancient world. All right. So the Jewish people are jealous. Is this the first time that Paul has encountered jealousy? No. Everywhere he goes, he manages to provoke them. It's like he's yes, and so he's in trouble. Okay, um, he's going to be a victim of his own success. And so, and, and just as in the past, what has been the, how did the Jewish people get at Paul? Yeah, they don't do it themselves. They, they've done it in Pisidian Antioch. They did it in Iconium. You know, they, 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 they stir up the Gentiles. They get them agitated. Okay. Uh, so here they do the same. They round up some bad characters. Okay. Uh, what are other people's translations for that? Mob. Mob. Okay. Yeah. What do you, what have you got? Riot in the city. Yeah, they start a riot. They get they get the mob. Okay, they go to the marketplace. 
the rabble, okay, and they form a mob. It's interesting that Thessalonica, um, at this stage of its career, um, in terms of history, has has had a had a had a had a, a, a couple of generations of wealth, but it hasn't had a chance to spread the wealth around. So you end up with a very powerful elite, very rich, and lots of working class poor, who with nothing else to do, with nothing else to do, are very easy to agitate. Okay. Um, anyone remember how long it took to build the, the second temple? King Herod's temple? Three years? I mean, the whole thing. The whole thing. 66 years. Okay. Oh, was, no, 46 years. 46 years. And so, when they finished building it, guess what happened that year? The rebellion started. You had like 20,000, 30,000 people suddenly no job. Sitting around Jerusalem, what do they do? Think we'll kill some Romans? That sounds like a good idea. Bit strong now, you know. So it is interesting that um, you know uh, some nations, even to this day, will engage in large building programs just for the sake of keeping their people busy. Right? Yeah, and that's not such a bad idea, right? Yeah, and you can, but so here you have a community. Uh, who, who, a lot of poor people, it's very easy to say, oh, for a few coppers, you have no idea what this guy was saying. Oh, that's terrible. Give me a few more and I'll go hit him for you. you know? And they do. Okay. Um, and so they start a riot. Okay. And uh, they rushed to Jason's house. Now, why would they go there? Mm-hmm. Who's Jason? <laughs> <laughs> Any idea? Who is Jason? Oh, it's a very good question. Um, yeah. um, have a look at Romans 16, I think it's verse 21. I'm not 100% sure. Romans 16, 21. Somewhere around there it's going to mention Jason. Yeah, what does it say? You got it, Lisa? Yeah. What does he say? Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, so do Lucius and Jason. Lucius is, guess who? That's Luke. Lucius is Luke. Lucius is the real name. It's a Latin name. Lucas is the Greek. Luke in English. He's the one person. Lucius is Luke. And who else? Timothy, Luke. So they're, they're the guys who are with him right now. So. And Jason, my king. Yes, which means Jason is is Jewish, yes. and he may or may not be a relative uh, in terms of yeah. So like it could just mean like of the same blood as me, okay? Like he's Jewish, but it also could be actually could be yep. And so in church history, he's known as Jason of Tarsus. Okay. Right? He's that, okay, he's that, and he's that, and, he's, and, um, and according to uh, hagiography, what is hagiography? I hear you ask. That is the um, study of church history, to especially to do with um, famous people. Uh, Jason, according to his career outside of the book of Acts, is Paul actually um, anoints him and sends him off to be the bishop of Tarsus, where he actually doesn't suffer martyrdom as much as he tried. 
Okay? So he got himself into all kinds of trouble. He gets beaten up all over the place. He does all kinds of things. But somehow you just can't kill this guy. And he ends up dying an old life like, like John. Okay. Just one of those things where they sort of go, and no one, you read his little history, and they even say, no one seems to be able to kill this guy. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's like that. But other guys do, okay? Like, but, and so Jason um, actually is a variant form of Yehoshua, okay? In, uh, in, 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 in translating Yehoshua. Joshua, Yehoshua into Greek, there are certain steps you can do. One way is actually to get to Jesus, which is Jesus, and the other way you can also get to is uh, Yison, uh, which is what God. So, who are the famous Jasons are there in history? Argonauts. Yes! Jason and the Argonauts. And have a guess which city Jason and the Argonauts comes from? Thessalonica. What's he famous for? Finding the Golden Fleece. And killing a hydra and a whole bunch of other things. But anyway, he, uh, he didn't want to be any member of his crew because they all die. Uh, he was the only one who survived. Sort of like our hero here. Isn't that interesting? I think we should all name our kids Jason, don't you think? <laughs> um, so he, it's interesting that in Acts 16, you end up encountering the, the lady with the spirit of Python in the area of the history of Python. And then one of the heroes of, of the area of Jason, of Thessalonica, is Jason. Okay. So it's interesting how uh, the, the, the book of Acts, or sacred history, just somehow pulls all that together. Okay. What's that expression you have in, in Hebrew? Coincidence is not a kosher word. Okay. Coincidence is not a kosher word. Yeah, <laughs> okay. So... So we have no clue exactly how Jason uh, fits into this picture other than Paul identifies him as A, Jewish, and B, he could actually be family. But he's there as well. How he gets there, we have got no clue. But they're definitely thinking that Paul's going to be in his place. Okay? So he actually is obviously wealthy because he's got a large house. Okay? And um, uh, so they come, they rush to Jason's house in search of Paul and Sidus. Because they're 100% assuming that he's going to be there. Well, they would, especially if he's family. Okay. Um, but when they don't find him, they decide, well, we'll, we'll take, take him instead. So they drag Jason and some other brothers, who don't get any names, uh, before the city officials, and they shout. Once again, it's all fabricated, it's all lies, it's not true. Trumped up charges, which is exactly what you still see in the Christian world today. Yes? And uh, many of our brothers and sisters get killed over lies, right? You know, um, you drew a, a picture of the Prophet Muhammad, so we'll kill you, every, kill everybody. And, uh, or you defamed uh, a Quran. No, I didn't. I don't even own a Quran, but we'll kill you anyway. You know, these kind of—it's all they're just lies. Yeah. So these men who have caused trouble all over the world—okay, well, maybe four cities, but okay, <laughs> the whole world—and they have now come here, right? And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees. Okay? And they partial it with a bit of truth. Saying that there is another king. Well, there is. <laughs> okay? One called Jesus. So, it's kind of true. Okay? 
but they're certainly not advocating rebellion. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. So um, why are they in turmoil? What's their big issue? Is this king threatening our king? Yes, there's a king threatening my king. And, and, and what happens if the Romans actually hear? What will the Romans do? They might send their legions here. This is terrible. Okay, so they got they actually got a little bit of bit of fear, and it could be honest fear for them if they don't really know the full story, and if the story is now being hyped up, and so suddenly they actually get a lot of fear mongering going on. Uh, the actual uh, in 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 the Greek, uh, the word that they use to describe the officials is um, politake uh, uh, or poly polyarch, yeah. Yep, Polytarch. The, um, until, you ready for this? Until 1865, this was the only source where you had that word from. And you're like, what? what how, how does the New Testament come to create such a title for an official? We actually have other names, um, especially in relation to Thessalonica. And it just so happened that in 1865, somebody dug up uh, some archaeology in Thessalonica, and they actually discovered on stone... Uh, the names of six uh, polyarchates or something like that. Correct. And they hadn't seen it before anywhere in Greek scripture. Or in, and now, now it's been found in 65 different other sources. But it is interesting that the New Testament once again recorded an accurate name for a ruler in an accurate place and wasn't substantiated until nearly 1,800 years later. Right? Um, and that and in our modern day archaeology, if 200 years ago, if you had asked for what was the archaeological evidence for King David, what would you have said? No. None. Right? It's just like that. You know, people were reading the Bible, and when they started asking questions, they said, there's no proof that this is true. And yet, not that you need archaeology to prove anything, it is interesting when archaeology comes along and substantiates the literary archaeology which you find in this text. Can I give you another example of that? I take folks around the old city. <coughs> One place I like to go to is the Pools of Bethesda. And it says there that the, those pools have five porticos. And so the, um, the clever people in the 19th century, the liberal-minded people, said, this is just fabricated because there's absolutely no evidence in antiquity that there were five-sided buildings. Exactly correct. However, the portico is not a five-sided building. It's like a square figure of eight, around two poles. And so that's that's what I describe as an epic fail for the liberal theory. <laughs> epic fail. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so we dug up uh, literary evidence in other sources that King David exists, and we've dug up archaeology that says that the New Testament is recording a historic. Uh, event. It, it knows the names, the, the correct titles of rulers. It's, it uses them. It uh, doesn't get its uh, geography wrong. Things like that. So that's uh, a good thing, I think, just to remind ourselves. Alright. Um, so the charges here are false. Um, and then they put Jason and the others on bail. Right? So he's obviously wealthy enough to pay his, his own bail. 
So what hasn't happened so far in the first nine verses uh, and, our, and our entire month that we've had in Thessalonica? Miracles? Yeah, there's no miracles. There's no mention of the Holy Spirit. There's no mention of a, of a deed, of a power, of a healing, or a demon. We've just had a, a month of good, solid Bible teaching. Guess what we don't like doing these days? Having a good month of a good, solid Bible teaching. We want the miracle. But sacred history is, is, is telling us when we get a miracle, you just get beaten up. And, uh, and when you have a good, solid Bible teaching, well, you get beaten up too. So, <laughs> so uh, go forth and get beaten up. Okay. Uh, but it is interesting that this is sacred history. This is our text. Our hero has not needed to resort to a miracle. The Holy Spirit obviously hasn't felt the need to be recorded as having done one. That doesn't say that it didn't exist. But obviously I can't say that one did because I can't prove it. But all I can say is that sacred history is telling us that these people needed a good, solid Bible study, all right? And they got one, and, uh, and it worked. Uh, but then, of course, there was some jealousy, and most likely that's going to happen to us. So, what's the other obvious question? When you break into Jason's house, don't find Paul and Silas and just beat up Jason. Let's what's the other good, obvious question? Where's Paul and Silas? <laughs> okay. It doesn't say. So where do you think he is? Well, they, they, they're Jews. They'd probably figure out if he was there. Where do you think? I mean, there's no way that the text tells you, so make it up. It's going to be just as valid as anything else. Where do you think he is? Sorry? Okay, one is he fled. One of the, you heard the riot and went, oh, I've been in this situation before. It never works out well. Uh, it usually has stones and things and heads. Uh, I'm off. What's another option? Could be. Just like Jesus, you often found him with the elites, did you not? Yes. And so it's very possible that our hero uh, is actually holding court somewhere else. And, you know, he's, out, he's found another audience. He's having another, another study. Now, our text in, um, in, Thess in Acts, the beginning bit of Thessalonica, only mentions Shabbats for the reasoning of Scripture. Although in the ancient world, uh, you actually also read Bible in public on Mondays and Thursdays. Okay? Uh, the next city we go to, they're going to read Bible every day. Okay? But in the, 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 for, for those that had a synagogue that actually functioned in a traditional way, you had public readings and debates of Scripture on Shabbat, Mondays and Thursdays. Alright, so, towns in an uproar, proclaiming ourselves a new king. Uh, we, need, we don't know where Paul and Silas are, and we've got a, a mob out to get him. And so, we read in verse 10 that... As soon as it is night, so we don't wait too long, the brothers, okay, now again, when we say the words Adelphu, the brethren, who are we talking about? Jews and Gentiles, okay? So men and women, so men and women, Jews and Gentiles, okay. mixed together, known as the brethren, the, the Adelphu, the, the, the brothers. 
So they send Paul and Silas away to, uh, to Berea. All right. On arriving there, they went to the, the Jewish synagogue. So what's something we learn from that sentence? What's something we learn from the situation where a mob is rioting, they want to come and get you, and the result is... Yeah, flee. So, what are we learning? On to the next town. It's okay to flee. Right? Right. There's no need to say, right, well, the mob's coming, but don't worry, I shall trust in the Lord. Back, demon. Okay? They say, look, they're coming to get you. Go. There's no need to say, oh, I shall bravely sacrifice myself for the Lord. Uh, that you don't get it. You don't get any words of knowledge saying the Holy Spirit prompted them to go. Okay, it was. Uh, it's they're using their noggin. Yes, mm. it's okay if you, to to use good common sense. Yeah. Okay. And so they they go. Jesus the process Sorry. Jesus had taught the process already. Yes. So Say it again, Arya. Correct. And also, when he gave a warning, he said, um, when you see the abomination of desolation, get out of town. Get out of town. Okay? There's, there's this, you don't need to do this, oh my gosh, you know, the immovable logic is heading my way. I shall stand here like a good, solid Christian. You know, the, it, sometimes, you know, discretion is the better part of valor. And, uh, and there's no, there's, the Messiah does it, uh, teaches it that way, and you can also see it in the life of Paul. Right? So the brothers smuggle them out of the city at night, and they go on their make their way to the next town, uh, a bit further down on your map, you can see it. Uh, they head to, um, to Berea. And they went to the synagogue. Upon arriving, they go to the synagogue. Now, why would they do such a thing? Custom, okay. Feel secure. Feel secure. And for someone to offer hospitality. That's right. So when you're you're a Jewish traveller, you and you arrive in a town, you go to the synagogue, and what is the expectation? Someone will put you up for the night. Okay, because in the Jewish world and in the Middle East, hospitality is a big deal. Now, if someone showed up uh, in a Christian uh, and walked into a church and said, Hi, um, I've just arrived in town, what would our normal response be? Go get a hotel, yo, 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 Mark. Don't try and rip me off. Okay? That's right, yeah. Okay. It, is, it is interesting that somehow, somewhere along the line, we lost a little bit of the art of hospitality. Okay? Um, it's. So here, he goes to the synagogue, I'm here, um, who wants a gospel story or who's, which unsuspecting victim are you going to lock me in, in their house with? Uh, and the Bereans, as described by Luke, okay, are of a more noble character and he loves to give them this adjective, um, not because perhaps they are more noble, but because of their response. Okay. They're, she said that uh, receiving a sense in the time of Jesus is already developed as hospitality because Jesus said he sent two by two, remember, mm -hmm. to any house 
you see view, you share what you have. If not, just track down your dust and go away. Yes, that is so, the um, one of the commands, but that doesn't create the hospitality. The hospitality is already there. Already exists in the world. Uh, uh, now that we know that, okay, we all know that, our response to travellers should be? My house. My house, okay. It's tough, isn't it? Yeah, it's tough. When they seem odd. Especially when they seem odd. Half the people in the city are odd. <laughs> Maybe 82%. <laughs> That's right. Okay. You're definitely okay, but your mate. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's hard, guys. It's not, it's, we want it to be. We all want it to be, but it's tough. Okay. Um, anyway, the Brians are of a noble character. This is their adjective. Why? Because unlike the Thessalonians who got jealous, right? these guys uh, receive the message with eagerness and they examine, they study, they pursue, they, they delve into the scriptures. Which scriptures? Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> okay, they're looking at Greek. No one's worried about uh, the version. Okay, like what we do today. Okay, um, to see if what Paul said was in the King James language. Okay, many of the Jews believe, and once again, <laughs> the women. Okay, I mean they just love hammering this in. Okay, many of the Greek women and many of the uh, the men and women. So, yep. Okay. Um, yeah, prominent. Okay, the, the yeah. Right. So attached to a synagogue in the ancient world, what's what's the building attached right next to it? Yes, the Beit Midrash, the house of study. Usually it's not as big as the synagogue, but it's there. Okay? And what do you do in our little Beit Midrash? Study. Yeah, okay. So the synagogue, while being used for worship on Shabbat and for public readings on th Mondays and Thursdays, for the rest of the time is a public gathering place. Right, so worship Yes. And so for those that, as in the Second Temple period, were developing the tradition, of reading, of studying the Bible, yeah. it hasn't quite got to this to what we would say like now we've got schools. Okay, they did have schools, but but it wasn't quite like every bit midrash was a school. But you had created these environments where you would study the Bible. You would have them available. So on after the Sabbath service, you would take these scrolls, which are incredibly valuable, and you would lock them up. Right, this is a liquid gold. They had a lot of money to write one of these things. Also, it's holy. Is it not? Yes, the Word of God is not something that you just carry around with you. And so, um, and so they had public, public reading, public study, public scriptures. So these people, and this says they did it daily. Yeah, so they would gather and they would daily, hey, um, let's actually really have a look at what this guy is saying. Let's actually read what he says. Let's read the counter verses. Let's have a discussion. When did they start to separate, separate it out, that woman who didn't study? When did they? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. The women were taught in Israel. Yeah. The men, the boys were taught. There's... It says here that the women and men... Correct. Mm -hmm. 
So this is this is in this is Mukhutsla Aretz. This is outside the land. Uh, and so yeah, the situation's a little different. One, they're reading a different Bible. They don't have what 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 out of all of these Jewish communities where Paul is, what does these Jewish communities not have access to? They don't have access to the temple. So what are they not doing? Correct. So one of the when when Paul gives his big arguments and defenses for the faith, what's one of the things you never hear him say? The blood of Jesus sets you free. <laughs> it has no bearing. Does it? What's going to be what's going to be their call? Repent. Because that does have a bearing. Okay, it's very hard to walk up into a synagogue, you know, where for several hundred years since they've built the synagogue, they've never actually made a, a blood sacrifice and say, you know, Jesus is the Passover lamb, he's the blood sacrifice, and they go, cool, why would we want one of them for? Okay. That doesn't say that sacrifices weren't important because they were. And they would send delegations to the temple. And they would take their gifts to the temple. And they would have sacrifices, but it wasn't something that they did all the time. And it, and, and they, and it wasn't something that was... And so the, the, the idea of, of sacrifices inside the land of Israel have a different meaning to the idea outside the land of Israel. Right? And that's just, that's just true. It's, it might not be what we like to hear. It might not be... This is all before the temple's destroyed. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so we're going to, we're going to we, we, we don't find, we find Paul arguing from the scriptures that, that Jesus is the Messiah, and first he's got to prove the Messiah has to suffer. So he's giving them the sacred history of Jesus. This is what Jesus did. And why does he have to do it this way? Because this is what the Messiah has to do. Right? This is what the Redeemer has to do. And, uh, and some believe, some don't believe. Uh, way it is um, and again what don't we have in Berea no miracle once again we arrive in a town there's no need to slay a demon there's no need to heal the heal people there's, um, there's no earthquake. There's um, no outpouring of the Holy Spirit with tongues of fire. What instead do you have? A good, solid Bible study. Tonight. Yeah. <laughs> but we can have some Holy Spirit too, if you like. <laughs> but, but isn't that interesting? Okay. Is that um, we've now hit two cities um, and uh, people are coming to faith and they're coming to faith because the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Because, you know, there was, they could see that what Paul was saying was, was the truth. They were reasoning from, from their scriptures, their Greek manuscripts. Okay. Um, okay. So, when the Jews in Thessalonica, this is verse 13 now. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, uh, they went there too. Okay, agitating the crowd and stirring them up. Why would they do that, do you think? 
What do you think is the reason, you know, or what is my motivation here? What is the motivation of these guys from Thessalonica? Right? Taking their power away. Okay. Think, think, try, try and say something positive if you can. Put yourself in their shoes. What are they trying to do? Yep, they're trying to protect the Jewish people. They're trying to defend Am Israel. They don't think that Paul and Silas and his companions are good guys. They think they're liars. They think they're wrong. They think they're charlatans. They think they're misleading the people. And they're setting out to defend the Jews. Who's doing that today? Okay, Yad Lachim would be one. Okay. So the people that stand at the front of Christchurch with their signs, their warnings, they're trying on their side, in their brains, in their worldview. They think we're bad. And they think we're dangerous. And so what do you expect them to do? Okay. Come on, you gotta expect them to to come out. And so they do. Okay, so these Jews, they learn, Paul's doing something, this is bad, we've got to go and defend our brothers, let's go. Uh, they don't do it very nicely again, they're going to agitate the crowd. Okay, they went there to agitating the crowds, get the Gentiles all stirred up. Uh, and the brothers, again, the mysterious uh, Jews and Gentiles who believe, immediately send uh, Paul to the coast. But Silas and Timothy stay. Okay. Now, what, what's Silas's special power? Anyone remember? He's a prophet, right? He's a, yep. So he's going to say, and Timothy's going to stay as well. So it looks like Paul and Luke uh, are off. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens, and then they left him, uh, and, then, and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So while they split up, they're, they're, uh, they are going to uh, bring the team together. And the Bereans get Silas and Timothy, who remain to continue uh, helping to form uh, the, new, the new community. Um, and it's great that the Bereans do this. Um, but at the end of the day, we don't get an epistle to the Bereans. Right? So at the, at the end of the day. Um, the, and, and at the end of the day, remember, all the churches that we build in, in Asia, Asia Minor, uh, what ends up happening to them? What's modern day Turkey like? Yeah, not so good. <laughs> okay. So it's good, it's great, but um, let's also remember that the things we create last forever, but maybe not on this world. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's always nice to build a nice big building. Um, it's fantastic. But it, it's not the thing that lasts. Something else lasts. Um, and hopefully many of these Bereans have lasted, which will be good to meet them later. Well, um, well, we'll stop there. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, 
or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.